Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the UI Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Jane Portman, and today our guest is Sean Casto, and we're going to talk about mobile apps today, marketing and monetization. This episode is brought to you by Gusto. Gusto offers payroll, benefits, HR, and management tools for small businesses. Automatically file and pay your taxes. Sign, store, and organize employee paperwork online. Choose from hundreds of benefit plans to fit nearly any budget. Fast, easy, all in one place. Sign up today at gusto.com slash uibreakfast and get three months free when you run your first payroll. Hi, Sean. Hello. Good afternoon. Very excited to connect with you today. So before we get started, could you tell us a bit more about yourself and your story, how you got started? Sure. Uh, Sean Casto, I am the CEO and president of Preapps, uh, the number one app marketing agency here in the United States. Um, I first entered the uh, mobile app marketing space or mobile app development space, I should say, uh, back when it first started, back when the App Store first launched uh, over 10 years ago now. Uh, I first built apps on my own, so I built a number of different type of apps, entertainment, gaming, things like that, uh, and then worked for an app development company. Uh, and then I really saw that there was a really bigger need more towards marketing than it was development. I mean, development, it, it, anyone can really build a, an app nowadays. And I found that 90% of apps actually fail uh, onto the marketplace. And so development isn't really a problem in, in the space. The problem really comes down to the marketing. And so uh, about eight years ago now, uh, we set out on a journey to be able to create the, be the best mobile app marketing agency out there to be able to really understand the metrics of success, understand what takes you know an app from zero to 100,000 downloads and then 100,000 to a million, a million to 10 million, even 10 million to 100 million. And really establish themselves as market leaders in their category by you know setting and working with some of the most successful apps in the marketplace. And so over the past eight years now, we've worked with over 3,000 apps over the past uh, eight years, reaching over half a billion in downloads, uh, working with all different types of, of apps across 24 different categories, working with early stage startups and all the way to already established billion dollar apps out there to be able to you know reach their goals. So it's been a very exciting journey. And I uh, just recently launched a book called App Secrets, How to Create a Million Dollar App that's available on Amazon now that really breaks down everything that we've learned over the past eight years and the strategies that we've implemented. That's awesome. Did you say 3,000 apps that you worked with? Yeah, quite a bit, quite a bit. That's, that's a lot. So my next question would be, how large is your team to manage such workflow? Yeah, so our team actually fluctuates depending on you know the type of clients that we work with, and so very early on, you know we worked with anybody, uh, you know just as any startup would, and then now you know over the years become more and more selective. Uh, right now, we only bring on maybe uh, two to three new uh, apps you know per month, uh, and are very selective on the type of apps that we work with, and so our team kind of um, uh, scales depending on on the workload and, and how many apps they're working with. But we have you know app growth experts that have worked with all different types of apps. Some work with, worked with Candy Crush and Netflix, and so we're able to bring on resources and team depending on the type of, of apps that we're working with. Some of them we need we need a team of you know ten. Some of the times we need a team of fifty depending on the type of apps that we're bringing on board. 
What type of apps are we talking about if you break down those 3,000 and uh, and if you talk about those two and three that you handpick right now, what's the difference? What's the structure? Sure. So in terms of types of category of apps, we're not really selective on the type of app. Um, more, more importantly, it is you know how well the app is actually created and, and what their goals are, and more importantly, what their marketing budget is to be able to achieve their goals. You know, we have people that come to us, you know, every single day and say, hey, you know, help, help me with my app. I want to reach a million downloads, but I only have, you know, $20 to be able to do that, right? And so obviously there's limitations <laughs> on, on what's possible. Um, and so in terms of, of, you know, the type of apps, again, we work with all 24 different categories across both the App Store and Google Play. So early on, we worked with all different types of apps, and, and we still do today. I mean, right now, we're working with a, um, a billion-dollar company in the security space that I can't necessarily say their name, but uh, we also have an app in the gaming category. We have an app in the fitness category, entertainment. Again, it all changes. Um, it's very exciting just to be able to be in this space because we work with just very unique type of, of services uh, from all over. Our main topic is monetization. It's kind of a double-edged sword. On one hand, we all know that mobile is the future. We're all accessing everything from mobile. On the other hand, it's been it's become increasingly hard to make money with with your app to sell it because people have super high expectations of high quality for for a couple dollars essentially. What is the success recipe? What does success look like for an app if someone ventures out to build a mobile app instead of like a B2B SaaS on the desktop? I mean, again, that's kind of a, a, not a lot of different discussion points in that, in that question in particular. But the reason why I love, you know, apps in particular is because our phones, our devices that we carry around with us have essentially become an extension of our body, right? Never in history would I be able to connect with individuals uh, from all over the world. And we're talking, you know, a billion people. Uh, instantly and no push notifications and autom- you know automated services and really providing value instantly all over 24/7 day and night in a unique way that's never been done before. I'm sure people are on their desktop and you can use SaaS products things like that but it's very limited use. Um, it's not something that people are going to be able to you know 100% be engaged with and have access to worldwide 24/7 day and night. Uh, the mobile app industry is also the fastest growing industry in, in the technology space you know ever created. Uh, there's more billion dollar apps created than any other type of, of um, service or platform in history. Uh, you have companies that are you know new billion dollar apps every single month now. It's it's really remarkable, and the reason behind that is because of accessibility, uh, being able to connect with a mass amount of people in a very short period of time, as well as be able to provide value in unique ways. I mean, you have apps that are changing industries. You know, the te- transportation industry with with Uber. You have the uh, dating and connection space with you know Tinder. You have social networks with Instagram and Snapchat. You have communication with WhatsApp. These things are, are changing industries, um, and it's just a very exciting space to be in compared to, let's say, other type of, of B2B or, or SaaS, which is just more traditional um, and takes a little bit longer to be able to you know, uh, accelerate and reach those you know, monetary goals. But most of our listeners won't be able to build the next Snapchat or Instagram, most likely. First, just because there are a few who can succeed. Is there like the understanding of a medium-sized success uh, when you're making money but are not that spectacularly famous? Is there any middle ground? 
Well, of course, I would say majority obviously are in the middle ground. I mean, the Snapchats are the 0.00001%, right? Like you've mentioned, and everyone else is, um, you know, in that middle ground making, you know, a thousand a day or $10,000, you know, a month. It really varies depending on what your goals are and your intentions and type of, of, of abilities. But most people that we connect with, they're really reaching for the stars. You know, they're looking to get a million downloads in the next few months and be able to scale and grow. And luckily, it's definitely feasible, you know, given the right marketing strategy and the resource to be able to make that happen. So what what is the path to success? Well, there's a number of different, uh, you know, paths in terms of, of you know, uh, strategies and techniques. Uh, in my book, you know, I break down the really essential pillars, uh, the pillars that are, you know, essential to be able to, you know, reach that success. It's really broken up to the seven pillars in particular. Um, if you'd like, I can kind of go over that, but it's more for kind of a longer discussion um, to, to go into them deeply. You know, I usually, you know, we have whole courses that are, you know, eight weeks that I go over these in, in depth. Um, and the book is obviously, you know, 300 pages that go over this. So, you know, in our time constraints today, I won't be able to go into them in, in too much detail, but I can just give a high level standpoint of, you know, those, those, you know, essential pillars that are needed to be able to market an app and launch it successfully. That'd be fantastic. Okay, perfect. Um, so yeah, so, you know, pillar number one is really all about having that grand vision for the future. You know, you might be wondering, you know, what does having a vision have to do with creating a successful app? Well, the reason why, you know, we start with the, the pillar of vision is because, so many people that we connect with and so many people who are listening right now might, might uh, understand that, you know, when you're creating any type of business, whether it's a SaaS product, B2B, anything, um, so many creator, creators, you know, they wander. Uh, they aimlessly launch their product without a destination or a goal uh, in mind. And it's really the quickest way to fail. You know, we see so many people waste time and money building out uh, a product without having the end in mind. You know, every billion-dollar app creator at some point declared what they wanted and developed a roadmap to get there. And the key here is most people work from where they are now to where they want to be. And this is really backwards thinking. This is a backwards strategy to go from where you are now to where you want to be. Uh, you have to really begin as though you already have the end in mind, as if it's already accomplished and done for you. You know, then work backwards, not forwards, to be able to make that happen. So we kind of break that down in, in that chapter, uh, kind of going over exactly how to be able to create that grand vision for the future and work backwards to get there. Um, same strategies that Uber, Square, Snapchat, you know, have, have been incorporated because I'm a strong advocate and believer that, you know, when you visualize, you materialize. And so if you can understand and see a clear path in what uh, your business and product and services and perfect customers look like, uh, you know, let's say in a year from now or two years from now or whenever, you know, that end goal is completed, you'll be able to get there a lot quicker and a lot faster. Uh, pillar number two is really all about innovation. And it's really all about, you know, understanding to be able to build a product that sim people simply cannot live without. Uh, it's about understanding the superior value and, and that you can offer to that end user. And the key is to be user centric. You know, this is all about creating something that's providing a perceived value. And that's something that's really lacking in today's environment. I mean, there's over 3,000 new apps introduced every single day now. 3,000, can you believe that? Incredible. Yeah, and, and a lot of them, unfortunately, are just copycat apps. You know, people saying, oh, 
that's cool. I'm going to create something similar and, uh, and it's not something that's actually unique and, and providing that value. Another component is, is innovation today's in market is really essential because you must continually, you know, to be able to be new, to be fresh. I mean, there's a reason why Snapchat, Facebook, Instagram come up with new innovations every single month. They come out with new updates. They don't do that because they want to. They do that because they have to. They need to be stay relevant in today's environments. And so we see a lot of apps fail because they're not continually innovating. They're not pushing themselves forward. Um, again, creating something that people simply cannot live without. And so that's really kind of a key component there. Um, another, the next kind of main key pillar is really all about growth marketing. And in my opinion, you know, growth marketing is really two things. It's first, it's the process of driving, you know, your users or prospects to your app and downloading it and purchasing what you have to offer while still increasing the appreciation of your app in the process. This is really key. You know, contrary to what most people believe, just building a product and launching it uh, doesn't mean it's going to be successful, right? Some people think that, you know, if you build it, they will come mentality. And that if you build, if you build the most amazing, innovative, beautifully designed product in the world, people will just naturally find and discover it. And unfortunately, that's just not you know, the case, if that were the case, you know, we'd, we'd have a lot more successful apps out there uh, than, than what we have available. I'm hoping our listeners have already overcome that mentality of building, they will come. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And again, and that's what's problem is in today's environment, again, with so many new apps coming out, they actually have built a great product. The problem is people don't know the app actually exists. Uh, we have, you know, someone that came to us recently that spent a million dollars creating that app and, and launched it about six months ago. And they have like practically zero downloads. And so it's so unfortunate. I mean, you could spend a million dollars building an amazing, beautifully revolutionary app and yet it to get zero traction and downloads. Um, and so that's why marketing is the lifeblood of any successful app. And so there are certain essentials that are required in order to be able to market an app successfully. Uh, we've coined certain terms like the skyrocket downloads method, like a 10 step uh, method to be able to really skyrocket growth and launching successfully. There are also mechanisms and, um, and growth mechanisms that, that we call viral app blueprint to be able to really enhance the virality of a particular app as well. So there are certain proven techniques that some of the top apps in the market incorporate that any app can follow as well. And so that's where kind of growth marketing comes into play. Pillar number four is all about team um, because a, a million dollar app starts with a million dollar team. And the truth is uh, you can't do it all on your own. And you really shouldn't, uh, you know, pretend that you can. Life changes for the better when you realize you don't have to know everything. When we work together, we can accomplish really anything. And that all comes down to having the right team in place, having leverage. You know, you cannot create a million-dollar app or even, even honestly, probably a hundred-thousand-dollar app all on your own. You need uh, a team. You need, you know, to work with the experts. You need to hire out. You can't do it all on your own. You know, and so a lot of people starting out in this industry think they can. And that's why you have these individual developers uh, that are thinking, oh, I'm going to build it. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to market it. Just, you know, it's going to be amazing. And unfortunately, it just doesn't occur just because you have to be able to leverage others and expertise to be able to, you know, reach those goals. And it's all about the power of, you know, delegation and outsourcing and really to be able to hire the best that you can to be able to achieve the results that you want. And so pillar number five is all about virality, retention, and what we call app addiction. 
Um, as I mentioned before, we have something called the viral app blueprint. And so it's all about understanding the core mechanisms that of, of why people actually share apps and what engages them to come back. Because, I mean, you could have a million people download the app, but what good is it if people don't actually use it or if they don't come back to the app? And so this chapter is all about uh, understanding those core metrics. Because uh, I don't believe that viral apps go viral by accident. I, I believe that virality is actually strategically engineered. And so, you know, there are certain um, strategies that you can really enhance that. And then uh, pillar number six is all about money mastery. Uh, a component, a question you had earlier was really how, you know, apps make money. And so in this, you know, pillar, we kind of go over all the core fundamentals uh, that are kind of needed to be able to really maximize uh, sales, to be able to, you know, reach those those metrics. Uh, we have something called the 10x revenue model uh, that uh, are the same techniques that billion-dollar apps use to be able to, to maximize sales. And then lastly, pillar number seven is really all about measuring success because you can't improve what you don't track. So it's all about understanding, you know, what items do you need to track within your business and when? Uh, and you might be thinking, well, hey, I don't have a billion dollar app yet. So what, what, what good is to, uh, to track certain things? Well, on the contrary, even starting off, you know, even if you're an individual developer, you need to be able to track the numbers and understand, you know, what you're KPIs are your key performance metrics so that you can continually track and improve them. Because again, if you don't know how your app is performing, you can't actually prove upon it. And uh, there's tons of studies out there that show that, you know, apps using app analytics outperform competitors who are just tr trusting their intuition three to one. Wow. And so, you know, it all comes down to, yeah, understanding really your analytics, your metrics to be able to continually monitor and improve that growth. Thank you for giving us this overview. It actually like precedes most of my uh, side questions that I had about the business. So we now have you know a complete vision of what a successful stellar team looks like. Now let's let's focus a bit on the monetization marketing. Uh, so backward, working backwards, where does the revenue come from? Is it the primary purchase in the in the app store? Is it in-app purchases? Is it, you know, having the app as a satellite app to a, another like central web application? So what have you observed is the most successful model these days or most popular? It's important to understand that when people think of apps, they, they you know, easily think of, of Candy Crush or um, Facebook <laughs> or things like that that they use on a regular basis. But the truth is apps are businesses, right? And with businesses, um, each business is is different and operates different, has different um, services and strategies and and ways they make you know money. Um, and so uh, the first step is really understanding, okay, well, you know what's the service and business that I'm in? And so what are my competitors you know uh, doing to be able to effectively monetize? Because obviously Netflix you know monetizes very differently than you know Tinder, right? Um, and so it's not because, where one model one model is better than other. It's just the one that applies uh, specifically for that industry and that business in particular. But taking a step back, you know there are four basic business models for for apps, um, and those four basic business models really consist of uh, paid apps in which you know it's 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 say a dollar or two dollars or three dollars or five dollars to download and, and get access to. Uh, there's in-app advertising in which, you know, you're downloading the app and there's, you know, advertising being displayed to you for a good example would be, let's say Facebook, you know, it's a free app, but there's advertising throughout. 
another uh, aspect would be in-app purchases. Uh, so getting free value, but there's always upgrades. Um, Tinder is a good example. You know, it's free to use, but you want to upgrade. Uh, you can pay certain, you know, things to level up. And then lastly is the subscription model, you know, the Netflix model or the New York Times model in which you're paying, you know, monthly or weekly uh, to obtain value from that particular service. And so what's really interesting in today's environment is there isn't really one model that that, that works for every type of app. Um, and what we're finding is that there's multiple um, variations of these business models that people are applying to, you know, uh, each app. So, for example... Tinder, and the reason why I bring up Tinder so many times is because it's just a great case study because um, they, you know, consistently uh, innovate and they consistently be a market leader in their category, you know, making billions of dollars. Um, and the reason why that is because they're continuing to improve and continue to monitor and continue to innovate in various different capacities. Um, and so Tinder doesn't follow one model, it actually incorporates every single one of those except for the paid app. It's still a free app, but they also have you know, uh, now in-app advertising. They also have in-app purchases. They also have subscriptions. So they incorporate every single one of those um, because they see there's different ways to be able to continue to provide value and, and to be able to, uh, you know, monetize from that. So there is no single success recipe and there is not even a trend that everybody uh, gravitates towards uh, subscriptions, for example. Yeah, I would say that, you know, the most common, of course, is going to be freemium model, which is a free app with in-app purchases. That's by far, uh, you know, a majority of all apps in the marketplace. I would say probably 75% of all apps out there follow that model um, just because it's a proven model to work. So if you're starting off, that's definitely the best way to start. And then you can build off of that. So you know, you can have free app with in-app purchases, and then uh, you can also add an option to uh, remove advertising, which would be a purchase. You can have an option later on to, you know, add additional value or a subscription, uh, similar to, you know, Tinder and other apps as well. What is the typical purchase size? So my view of this ecosystem is the typical purchase size is less than ones on, on the desktop and other types of software. Is it true? Does it impose certain limitations on, on the product? It varies. I mean, yes, statistically, uh, in-app purchases in terms of, uh, you know, the unit price is going to be cheaper than other, you know, desktop services. Uh, and the reason I think behind that is just because it's something that people are, are used to um, and people are just more inclined to pay, you know, a more affordable price. But the value there is, is accessibility. Um, again, if you're using a SaaS desktop product, it has a limited use in the sense that people only can use it on a desktop when they're working. And, uh, mm -hmm. and now people are on their mobile phone about twice as much than they are on their desktop. And so you're looking at accessibility kind of factor is the biggest thing, as well as worldwide, you know, exposure. Um, and so, you know, you can get, someone to download your app a million times very, very quickly. And if you get, let's say, half of those people um, to purchase just a $1 upgrade, you know, you have 500,000 in sales just right then and there. And so, you know, that's just something to consider as opposed to, you know, let's say you have a desktop SaaS product and um, it's very difficult to get, you know, 10,000 people to, you know, use it. And then if you have upgrades, you know, only a very, very small fraction of those people are actually going to upgrade and then how much you know, are you going to charge? Say it's 10% of people are going to upgrade to, you know, uh, to pay $10. Um, so you're looking at, you know, what is that, $10,000 um, in, in sales versus accessibility of using a mobile app to, to you know, get your service or product out there. 
and easily monetizing by having you know a lower price uh, per unit. What about apps that are kind of settled to their desktop web app versions? Um, for example, I don't know, Mailchimp has a mobile app. Oh, I, I'm sh- I'm quite sure they don't need to specifically market it, or do they? Mailchimp doesn't necessarily need to market their app, I guess, because it's still more of a desktop business, um, and it's also more of a B two B business. Um, and so they market very differently than than others would. So the majority of your um, applications that you work with are um, consumer apps. No, we work with some business, but yeah, I would say majority out there are definitely consumer. So I would say maybe eighty percent are consumer based because that's just kind of where um, the market's going. It's where the most success is, um, and it's kind of our our specific you know niche. Let's talk now about about marketing. And you mentioned that you have the viral app blueprint, which which sounds fascinating. So could you share a little bit how you came up with this method and what uh, the brief, you know, brief recap of that? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I can't really go into too much detail because it's, it's actually pretty in depth. We have a whole, again, hour long presentation that goes over the viral app blueprint in particular. But the viral app blueprint essentially is just covering the uh, what we call growth engines. Growth engines are mechanisms that are designed to be able to get people to engage and, and share the product. So you don't have just one, you know, download, but everyone who downloads it ends up becoming, you know, two, three, ten times that. Um, and it really comes down to using case studies and examples of uh, the most successful apps out there uh, and how they're able to grow very quickly. Whether it's you know Snapchat or Instagram or uh, Uber, uh, there are certain things that, that that work for them that could be applied to other businesses. Uh, for example, one thing that's most you know essential for a lot of businesses is that that win-win referral system, uh, meaning that you know it, you're incentivizing people to actually share, and it, it, it benefits both the, the recipient as well as um, the person who's sharing it. So, for example, you know Uber offers um, $25 credit uh, for anyone who um, who downloads the app. And also gives 25 credits to those that actually, you know, share it and that person downloaded. So there's that kind of win-win referral system in place that incentivizes people to be able to share it um, because they see value. And they're also providing value to that individual they're sharing with, making them look cool or, or um, you know, good in the, in the face of the person they're sharing. And so, you know, that's just one example of, of many that is included in that type of viral app blueprints that we've you know, developed based on, on working with, you know, so many successful app businesses, as well as being able to study uh, the, the most extraordinary uh, apps out there that are able to grow so, so quickly, you know, going from, you know, tens of millions of downloads in a very short period of time. You mentioned marketed budgets, and that realistically, those should be of certain size. So could you give us a, an estimate of how large that could be? And also, where is that budget going primarily? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a one size fit all model, um, and so everything that we do is customized based on our clients' goals and needs, and ultimately what they're looking to achieve, and and the resources to be able to make that happen. And so, you know, everyone has different needs, everyone has different goals, uh, and everyone has also different apps um, and services that they're providing. And so, there's different variables in terms of that. So, some people, hey, you know, success looks like. Uh, for them, is just ten thousand downloads, and then monetizing from that. We have others that you know want uh, a million downloads in the first year. We have others that need ten million downloads in the first you know few months. Uh, and obviously, everyone is going to be different in terms of, of their needs and, and where the, what they're looking to achieve and and how quickly they need to get there. 
you know, Candy Crush, you know, spends well over a million dollars a month on advertising and marketing. Um, and so, again, everything is, is very, very different. Uh, when it comes to just starting off, let's say you're very early stage, one thing that we do, you know, rule of thumb, I would say, is, you know, we recommend spending equal, if not double the amount that you spent on development uh, towards marketing. Uh, because, again, you can spend, you know, a million dollars on creating a great app, but it can fail uh, if you're not able to actually get people to discover and download it. And that's why, again, marketing is the lifeblood of any successful app. And so, you know, you need to be able to get those resources to be able to make sure that people can actually download and discover it. Um, as you mentioned before, there's different ways of, of marketing app. You have the organic realm. You also have the paid advertising realm. And both of them are very, very effective tools, but it all varies depending on what your goals are and how quickly you want to get there. So obviously organic marketing does take a little more time than, than paid uh, advertising. So, you know, if you want to reach a million downloads tomorrow, that's possible, but you're going to rely exclusively more on paid advertising to get there. Could you give us an overview of uh, the most popular channels that you use that you recommend your clients to use? When it comes to organic marketing, uh, a majority of all downloads in the world uh, don't come from Facebook advertising, don't come from a word of mouth, don't come from TV advertisements or uh, you know social media. A majority of all downloads in the world actually come from people searching the App Store and Google Play to find apps that they're looking for. So if people are looking on the App Store for you know taxi, uh, they're going to see Uber is number one. They're going to download Uber. Uh, just an example. So majority of all downloads in the world come from people searching the App Store and Google Play. So therefore, uh, the main driver of that uh, is going to be something called App Store optimization. Uh, very similar to search engine optimization, except uh, kind of really focus exclusively on the App Store and Google Play, and how, naturally how an app is going to be discoverable. And that's another problem in the market is the fact that because there's 2 million plus apps available and over 3,000 new apps introduced every single day, it's uh, very difficult for your app to actually be discoverable you know, in the search results. And so that's why you know, app store optimization is kind of the number one driver for that. Um, other mechanisms that are required to be able to market an app organically are going to be things like you know, having the right promotional videos. Uh, videos have become a standard in the industry and something your potential users will expect. And so without having the right videos uh, for each platform, you're really going to be setting yourself up at a disadvantage. Another factor will be press and media exposure, you know, getting other people to talk about your app for you and promotion to you know, millions of potential users to drive that organic growth. Um, so those are just a few examples of kind of the fundamentals when it comes to you know, organic uh, marketing. And then when it comes to paid marketing, paid advertising, uh, the biggest drivers will definitely be Facebook advertising, um, and then second to that would be more uh, geared towards Apple search ads and then Google search ads uh, to be able to make sure that your app you know, appears at the top of the search results. Do you use paid ad spots within other apps as a channel or not so much? You can. Uh, yeah, you can definitely do, uh, do that. Um, and it's going to be a little more affordable. The problem is it won't be as effective when it comes to an actually engaged user. So if you want that person to be very engaged with your app and in turn you know, uh, monetize, um, they're just less likely to be able to do that compared to people that are actually searching for your solution, um, you know, via, let's say, Apple search ads or Google search ads and such. How hard is the life of optimizing for the App Store if they have changes being rolled out very often yeah, <laughs> and yeah. uh, their methods changing and the ecosystem is changing? Nothing is reliable. So how do you keep up to date with all of that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult. And it's, it's a full-time job, not just for one people, but a whole team. And so we have a whole department geared towards app store optimization. And we actually have weekly calls. One thing that makes us very unique is we have weekly calls with Apple and Google uh, to be able to understand how things are changing, how things are adapting. Um, and, and, and like you said before, I mean, the Apple algorithms and the App Store change almost uh, every other month now. And so you need to be able to stay on top of what's going on, what's changing, because it's going to affect how the app is, is going to be ranked in terms of you know, how many downloads you're going to get, the exposure, the conversion rates. There's a lot of different factors. You always have to stay on top. And that's why I mentioned before, you know, you can't do it on your own. Um, you can't try and figure it out on your own. You're only going to you know, hit a certain threshold if you want to be able to you know, reach your goals and accelerate, you have to be able to leverage uh, others and experts out there to be able to, you know, accelerate that growth. So what happens after your, let's say, to initially kick off the launch of the app, you invest a large marketing budget into that. Is there ever like an evergreen stage where it slowly transforms into organic and kind of pays for itself? Or do you have to constantly keep pumping in resources into keeping it up? It's something that you do need to continually, uh, you know, improve upon and market. Um, you can't just, you know, it's not a one and done procedure in, the, in that capacity. Uh, you have to continue to innovate, have to continue to market in different realms if you want to stay, you know, relevant. If you want to stay at the top of the search results, you have to continually tweak and improve upon that. Um, otherwise, if you don't, if you get lack of downloads, just due to the pure competition and because of all your uh, new apps and existing apps are competing against you, you need to be able to stay on top of that. Um, so it does take, you know, ongoing marketing initiatives to be able to do that. That being said, you know, it comes to organic growth. There are some aspects that will just continue to, to work for you. But when, when it comes to paid advertising, of course, you know, it's a pay-per-play type of scenario. How demanding are you to the quality of the apps that you take up as clients? Uh, is it worth for an indie developer to go up to you with a certain budget uh, or does it always have to be a super polished app built by five or 10 people? I don't know, 20 people? No, it doesn't necessarily be a, need to be a full polished app. I mean, as long as it provides a value. You know, our, our kind of philosophy is, is really, you know, when we speak with app developers, or any developers, you know, it all comes down to finding your niche, uh, finding a way to serve your fellow humans in a way that they've never been served before, and then being able to get paid, you know, for doing it in the process. And so innovation can be, you know, very tweak, uh, very small little tweaks to, to something that already exists. Um, because the truth is, whatever you're building most likely already exists out there due to the competition out there. But um, that's okay. As long as you can build upon something and make it better and provide a better solution to others, that's okay. Um, but we wouldn't recommend, obviously, launching something that's, you know, a poor quality or buggy or won't work, things like that. You want to be able to make sure you have something that's, um, that's polished enough to be able to, uh, you know, provide value to others. And that's all that's really needed. And then everything else comes down to marketing. A lot of people think that uh, if to be able to launch it, you have to have everything perfect. You have to have the app 100% polished. You have to have those all those million features you've been thinking about have to be added to it um, before you can launch. And so it, it's really on the contrary. You want to be able to launch that you know minimal viable product, uh, and then to be able to adapt based on you know customer feedback and usage. So that's where, you know, analytics comes into play to understand how people are using it and how they're interacting and where the drop-off rate is. And so you want to be able to build a product that's user-centric, not developer-centric in the sense that, oh, I believe that this app should have X, Y, and Z, and I believe that people want this. But the reality is you don't know what people want until you actually, um, you know, ask them and have a product out there for them to use and gain that feedback to be able to adapt and evolve. 
the most successful apps in the marketplace, that's how they built their foundation, was not based on what the developers thought would be useful, but what actually consumers uh, found useful and, uh, and then doubled down on that. And to be able to continue to you know, uh, build out that app and have new updates and new features and new functionality you know, every two or three or six months um, and then you know, coinciding those updates with marketing campaigns. So let's imagine there is an iOS developer listening to us and they decide to venture and build their own product and, uh, and market it. Uh, what, what would be the recommended reading for them, uh, starting with your book, of course, and maybe some other resources they can refer to? Yeah, and so uh, I definitely recommend if you are, you know, um, in the process of building an app or have an app, uh, get a copy of our of our book called App Secrets: How to Create a Million Dollar App. Uh, the book can be available on Amazon, or if you'd like a free physical copy, uh, we also do send that out to our community. Uh, you can just go to preapps.com and uh, and enter your shipping address, and and we'll ship you a copy of our physical uh, book, App Secrets. And so uh, I think that will be a, a very good start uh, to be able to understand, um, the, you know, the fundamentals. You know, on top of that, it really comes down to understanding more about marketing and business. I wouldn't say you really need a book about development or a book about, you know, marketing. I would say look at more of the fundamental business stuff that's going to allow you to be able to excel and grow. And um, one of my favorite books in terms about business and focus is a book called The One Thing. Yeah, it's a very good book about, you know, your focus and, and you know, priorities and things like that. Another great one is called Measure What Matters uh, by John Doerr. And it's a you know, good one about understanding you know, what your goals are and being able to work backwards to get there. But again, you can't do it on your own. So you, know, you can only educate yourself to a certain capacity. The rest you need to you know, find the, the who's, not the how's. One of the, my favorite you know, uh, things that Dan Kennedy says is, you know, if you want to be able to achieve your goals, it doesn't come down to how to do it, but who can do it for you. And I love that because it's so true um, because we, you know, as entrepreneurs think that we can just do everything on our own and we like to manage everything. We like to do it all. Uh, but the reality is if we want to be able to, you know, reach our goals and, and, and do it quicker, um, the only way to do that is leveraging the experts and leveraging others out there to be able to assist us in those efforts. Well, thank you so much, Sean, for joining us today, for sharing your wisdom. To recap, um, what's the best place to find you personally and your company online? Yeah, if you're interested in, in working with us or getting more details about um, our agency, uh, you can head on over to preapps.com, P-R-E-A-P-P-S.com. And uh, we're offering free consultations to those that are in the process of building an app or have an app. Uh, you can also go there to get a copy of our best-selling book, and uh, we'll ship that to you. What about yourself personally? Do you have a blog or Twitter? Uh, yeah, I mean, you can go to our website, um, seancasto.com. Um, also on, on social media, on Facebook, um, at Sean Casto. Thank you so much uh, once again, and I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. Have a great day.